0: It's making me crazy feel like I can't do what I want because I'm always having to consider the emotions of my boss. Well, that's what was said to me on the phone the last few months by multiple people. I started connecting some dots. So let's talk about that today. Let's talk about the hard thing about managing your own emotions as leader, manager, or supervisor so that you don't have to expect other people around you to manage their behavior so that you don't get all pissed off. (laughs) Welcome back. Hi, I'm D. Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, And here we are. Every year, uh, November, December, half of November, all of December, sometimes all of January, as in this case, (laughs) we take a little bit of time off from creating these podcasts. And then we're back at it sometime halfway through January. Welcome back from a little bit of a hiatus. And you heard me light it, didn't you? You wonder what it is what cigar am I going to enjoy today? Wow, I wish you were here because this has become one of my more favorite infused cigars. If you are a a dyed in the wool, hardcore, old school cigar aficionado. The idea of an infused cigar will probably conjure up in your mind an image of something dipped in chocolate or, <laughs> I don't know, like a candy cigar from back in the day when we were kids. But I don't know. This is a Drew Estates brand called the Deadwood Tobacco Company. And the specific cigar that I'm going to enjoy with you today is called a Fat Bottom Betty. <laughs> I have no idea where that actually came from. And with apologies to my friends and relatives named Betty, this is not a comment about you. This is a really nice cigar. So uh, Drew Estate really has has done some amazing things. And uh, they're all about the revival of the cigar and the, the enjoyment of the cigar. And so this is one of the reasons why they've done that. And then they started a sub-brand called the Deadwood Tobacco Company. Of course, Drew Estate's been so successful that a couple years back they were purchased by a larger company. And we were all, those of us who were fans of the Drew Estate Company and of their products. Uh, a little nervous that when they, were, when they were bought by the big conglomerate that they would lose their heart and soul, which sometimes happens. But not in this case. So far, so good. The products they've been coming out with and the old school ones they've had for years from the acid cigar line uh, all the way down to uh, have all held together pretty well done really well. So this one, the Fat Bottom Betty, is a. uh, it's got a Connecticut Maduro wrapper on it. It's about five or five and a half inches long, about a 50, I think, 50 ring cigar. So about the size of my thumb, a little bit bigger. No, I guess that's about the right size, about the size of my thumb in in, uh, diameter. Inside it, of course, it's got several different kinds of Nicaraguan tobacco leaves that are just so good. So let's, I just lit it and the smoke is copious and it's rolling around the studio. I'm actually in the studio by myself, today so there's no one else in the back trying to muffle their coughs (laughs) here we go Mm -mm -mm. copious amounts of smoke gorgeous cigar When I first got a box of these a while back, uh, well, one was actually given to me, not a full box, but one cigar to see if I liked it, and then another box was given to me, and then over the holiday break a few months back, we ran across a a sale on these, and it's kind of rare, so bought a couple of boxes and have have gone through three or four of these already. Wonderful. Not boxes. Three or four cigars already. It's really quite good. This is a wonderful cigar if you like cigars at all. So there we go. That is how we're going to start our conversation today with a Drew Estate's Deadwood Tobacco Company brand, Fat Bottom Betty, (laughs) Nicaraguan Cigar. And of course, you're wondering what I'm going to pair it with. You can tell by the nice resonance of that cork removal on this bottle of bourbon that it's almost empty. (laughs) Did you hear it kind of whoom? Here, I'll do it again. I'll I'll put the cap back on. You can hear This is an almost empty bottle hear that? <laughs> Almost empty because I'm really enjoying this. What is it that we're going to have today? Well, this is this is a brand. This is a, a bourbon from Lux Row Distillers, recently bought by MGP, the big bourbon and spirits conglomerate. Um, and once again, hopefully they're not going to lose their soul when they've been gobbled up by the Borg. Hopefully they just get capital infusion, but maybe that's why I found this because they got enough money to market this and uh, move it around so it's not a hard to find bourbon. Old Ezra 7 age seven years old Ezra seven it's a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey this one is the barrel strength and in this case barrel strength is 117 proof let's pour a little bit in here because they have very much of it I might tell you exactly what I really think Uh, (laughs) so I'll put that over (laughs) one crystal clear ice cube so there it sits oh it's quite beautiful and it smells really quite good it smells clean. It's not overpowering. It uh, doesn't smell like cleaner. <laughs> it smells clean. I get a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of vanilla, maybe, maybe a little bit of. If I close my eyes and imagine, it's vanilla and maybe maybe some brown sugar in it a little bit. I could, I think, I can pick up a little bit of that. It's not overwhelming, and it smell at all. I have to actually think a little bit about it. I don't know what that other smell is in there. Mm, pretty good let's take a taste okay i just had just took a nice draw on my fat bottom betty cigar and i uh, told you about that taste let's see how well it goes with this bourbon let's see if i can recommend it to you mm. you know for 117 proof bourbon it's not as hot as they sometimes are when they're 117 proof anything for a lot of people over like 90 or 95 proof uh, bourbon they'll really start to to taste and feel the alcohol burn on that first one and and it's not as not as hot as a lot of bourbons are at this 117 proof that's a 58 and a half percent alcohol by volume so but this is barrel proof wow that's quite good that is quite good as that little bit of heat burns off and i can kind of taste it mm, mmm this is interesting i'll have to read to see if anybody else tasted this but i can taste cherry it's um, now i'll smell it again oh yeah that was what that other smell was cherry i can taste cherry not like fresh cherries not like bing cherries we used to have a back on our properties as I was growing up as a kid we used to have an orchard cherry tree orchard and we had a lot of really good bing cherries loved them it's not quite that taste but pretty close to it More like cherry pie, like a baked cherry pie where you have a little bit of crust and a little bit of cherry together. That's the taste right there, except it's extremely subtle. And then it has that bourbon alcohol zip that goes, oh, good stuff. You know, I think I might have made a pretty good decision here. wish you were here. I'd pour you some of this. Well, let's hop into what we're going to talk about today. I would like to talk with you about managing your emotions so other people don't have to manage their behavior. How's that for a welcome back podcast? So it occurred to me, as I was thinking several weeks ago, that over the last couple of years especially, uh, I've heard a lot of folks share with me how frustrated they are with the emotional life of their senior leaders or of their boss, perhaps. It's just their supervisor. They feel like that the emotional life of their supervisor or boss or manager or or CEO has become more and more of an issue for them. And I started connecting dots and realized that I've heard this in certain themes and with certain people over um, several years. Here's the idea. The idea is that perhaps you as a leader, director, manager, supervisor, chief, whatever your title happens to be, maybe your emotions are so strong that you have set up a culture around you where people change their behavior so that your emotions don't go dark on them or negative or make them feel bad or kick them into the doghouse or something like that. that. They change what they think. They change what they say. They change what they do so that for the specific purpose of managing your emotional reaction. If that is true of you, you will set up a toxic workplace. You will set up a workplace that is less productive than it needs to be. And it's likely that people who don't like that will, as soon as they find another option, they'll abandon ship. They'll go work somewhere else. This is what I call the hard thing and even to borrow the title of the book, The Hard Thing About the Hard Thing, is the hardest thing about being a leader is managing our own psychology and therefore our own emotions. Think with me for a moment about yourself. Have you experienced a setback or something especially difficult or something really, really challenging over the last little while? Many of us have, right? Have you been disappointed with the way things are going or how quickly they're going or not going? And have you found yourself becoming more and more frustrated and more and more experienced? of negative emotions as a leader. If that's you, and if and if you've experienced that, or if you're on the other side of it, and you have been the one who has had to change, you felt, your behavior in order to manage your leader's emotions, then the next few minutes might be helpful for you. I'd like to share a few basic fundamental ideas that might help us get our minds around this and then change how we lead so that we don't have a negative dynamic set up in our workplace and hamstring this amazing organization that's been created. First idea is this. We're not actually thinking beings that feel. We are rather feeling beings that think. Now, a version of that came from a psychologist who is a Portuguese-American neuroscientist. His name is... Antonio Damasio. And he's written some really, really great stuff over the years. And one of my favorite things that he wrote is a book entitled Descartes' Error. Descartes, as you remember, was a philosopher. And one of the things that he contributed to almost our pop culture comes from the phrase, I think, therefore I am. Descartes is best known for that phrase, I think, therefore I am. And Antonio Damasio said, yeah, I think Descartes might have had that backwards. I feel, therefore I think might mean more closely. A aligned with what we are as human beings. So, Damasio, pretty sharp guy, wrote this book called Descartes' Error, in which he lays out this idea that we are not thinking beings that feel, but rather feeling beings that think. Now, we do both. It's just that we do the feeling part first and faster, then we do the thinking part. And it happens so quickly and at such light speed that we don't really even notice that it's taken place. It's really, really fast. And of course, we have this amazing apparatus within our body called the limbic system. We've talked about this before in other podcasts or in other videos. A little sidebar here, if you're not familiar with it, we actually have a whole set of videos out in one of our other companies called the HILT Academy. H-I-L-T stands for High Impact Leadership Training Academy. And we have a paid side, which is a hiltacademy.thinkific.com. You can find courses there and pay for them. There's a free side where there are short snippets of some things that we have learned that are also in the courses. And that's on YouTube, Hilt Academy. On YouTube and you'll hear us talking a little bit about this stuff if you and I have never met most of you who listen to this are folks I've met at a conference or uh, or, or out at a bourbon somewhere and maybe many of us have become friends but if you and I've never met you might wonder who is this guy and what does he even look like I do that too I hear someone's voice and I imagine what they look like <laughs> oh, and then when I go find a picture of him, I go oh that's not what they look like. (laughs) Give it a try. Anyway, Hilt Academy uh, on YouTube and you'll be able to see some of those videos there. All right, so back to the idea of the limbic system. Our limbic system is this really amazing set of um, regions and uh, portions within our brain that function to facilitate, largely, memory storage and retrieval. Our limbic system does that by making what we perceive salient. In other words, turning it into something that are bullion cubes of emotional states. Then to link our conscious intellectual functions of the cerebral cortex, for example, with our unconscious or unconscious unaware autonomic functions within the brain. This works together to give us a sense of emotion or a sense of feeling or a sense of place. I won't go much further into this because you're probably rolling your eyes thinking, I'm having a feeling right now. Is boredom a feeling? <laughs> anyway, the, our limbic system is a set of structures within our within our brain. And those structures are the amygdala and the hippocampus and the, the thalamus and the, the hypothalamus, basal ganglia, and on and on. But they all go together to help us create emotion. And then emotion is a large part of memory. Our most readily accessible memories have some sort of limbic interaction to them. They have some sort of emotion that goes with, them. all right, and our limbic system is incredibly fast, incredibly fast. It happens faster than our than our cognitive, verbal, organized sort of functions that happen within our brain, super fast. To illustrate, we are always perceiving what's going on around us, and sometimes accurately, sometimes inaccurately, that perception comes as a result of a stimulus. So the first thing that happens is we there's some sort of stimulus. There's a loud sound, for example, that's stimulus, or or a room gets colder or hotter, that's stimulus, or we're walking through a, a, a busy, noisy, parking lot and suddenly it gets really, really quiet. That's a stimulus, okay? So we go from stimulus to perception of that stimulus in about a twentieth of a second, it seems, and then add another two-tenths of a second to that and we go from perception to response. That is, we react to it internally in some way. There's some sort of movement that happens within our body. And then we go from that to some kind of conscious, organized thought, anywhere from two to three and sometimes up to ten seconds, depending on how sophisticated that stimulus has been at the beginning and depending on how tired we are. So in a matter of just this, this fat, that fast, that fast, we go from a stimulus to perception to response and then start thinking about it like that. Okay, that's, that's in part what Damasio meant when he said, we're not thinking beings that feel in that order, we are feeling beings that think. His actual quote, his precise quote, to give him the respect he deserves is, we are not thinking machines that feel, we are feeling machines that think. I changed that to the word being because it seems a little bit more respectful <laughs> than thinking of somebody as a vending machine with legs. <laughs> anyway, okay, so here's the point. We've got this limbic system, it's incredibly fast, and it's designed to cause us to. To perceive what's going on around us, and we've spoken about this in other podcasts in the past. That it does so by putting everything into two big buckets. And if it's not in one of these two buckets, we won't even really perceive it or remember it. And the buckets, as you remember, are a threat bucket or a reward bucket. We think, is this is this a threat? Then our limbic system goes on full alert. And is this a reward? Well, then our limbic system goes on alert, but not as full as that uh, as that alert from the potential threat. By the way, we don't have to actually be threatened to be able to respond to the threat to a perceived threat. Most of the threats that experience and respond to in civilized society are actually not threats. They are perceived or imagined threats. And, by the way, most of the things we think of as rewards in this civilized and connected society are not actually rewards. They're either neutral or they end up later being a threat. Hmm, something to think about. (laughs) All right, here we have it. Our limbic system is at the heart core of this concept that we are feeling beings that think. And our limbic system, let's make it simple and portable, is this amazing set of structures and functions that create emotions. What are? Emotions. Well, emotions are the things that result from movement within our body. And the movement, think of the word emotions or emotion. Take the letter E off the front and think motion. The Emotions are the result of movement. And the movement within our body can either be physical movement, like I raise my eyebrows or I gasp or I twitch and I, or I get tense or I wave my har- my arms or my hands or something like that. Emotion. Okay, there's movement, physical movement or it can be neurochemical and internal movements where there are neurochemicals that move from one part of our body to another where very very small changes in our capillaries cause our blood pressure to go up a movement okay so physical obviously and observable or at least noticeable physically but then the, the non-physical stuff that is the the neurological transaction and electrochemical transactions that are taking place within our body those in order for a, an emotion to exist there has to have been some sort of movement movement that's taken place within the body all right so that's the concept of emotion that movement is a result of a stimulus and then the perception of that stimulus so then our limbic system kicks into gear and causes movement all right so there're probably six basic emotions there're six basic emotions probably happiness and sadness and fear and disgust and anger and maybe surprise some folks have, have zoomed in on that and thought you know well, I think we're a little more robust than that I think we're a little more complex than that I, I, we actually might have up to 27 different emotions. Dare I list all of those 27 emotions? Of course I am, and we might actually edit it out. But before I do that, I'm going to relight this Fat Bottom Betty cigar. Mm, because I was talking too long. Mm, it's so good. Darn it, I wish you were right over there, and you'd be enjoying it with me. And then let's follow up with just a little bit of the sip of the old Ezra barrel strength. Oh so good you're probably thinking that that actually created some emotion it did (laughs) did create some emotion i think it's called happiness (laughs) it's great stuff all right i'm going to list them quickly just because it's kind of fun oh what are what some folks identify as the 27 different emotions and as i walk through these please imagine which ones of these that you most commonly feel here they are admiration adoration aesthetic appreciation you notice something beautiful amusement Anger, anxiety, awe, awkwardness, boredom, calmness, confusion, craving, disgust, empathy, it's specifically more like empathetic pain, entrancement, excitement, fear, horror, interest. Joy, nostalgia, relief, romance, sadness, satisfaction, desire, and surprise. Those are the 27. You want to back it up and listen to them again uh, and and notice which ones you are most commonly able to identify. You know, I get to spend time with you. You're probably, like I said, a friend of mine and you and I have probably sat over coffee or bourbon or spent hours on the phone together and I know you... And I know that when you get really tired, that your anxiety, one of those 27 emotions goes up and your anger goes up and your boredom goes up. When you get really tired, I notice when you're not tired, when you've taken care of yourself and you've managed your body and your brain, that your other emotions go up and replace it. Maybe excitement, maybe maybe satisfaction, uh, maybe amusement. Your sense of humor is better. And your admiration and your appreciation of all things beautiful, those go up. It's interesting how the more tired we are, the more prone we tend to be to experiencing negative emotions. And uh, this is an important thing to realize. How tired are you? How discouraged and tired are you? Are you on the way to burnout? Because if you are, it's likely that your emotions will lean toward the negative. And those are the ones that will be picked up by your team as threats. And they will not like it, so they're going to feel like they need to do something different in order to manage your emotions. By now, you get that that's not a good thing, <laughs> not a good thing at all. All right. Hey, you've heard of you've heard of John Cleese before? Remember John Cleese, C L E E S E. He's a comedian, a British comedian, a genius of a comedian, and part of the Monty Python troupe from years gone by. Love that kind of humor. Probably tells you more about me than you need to know, but (laughs) I love that kind of humor. a really interesting guy. He said, if you can't control your own emotions, you're forced to try to control other people's behavior. That's why he went on to say that the touchiest, most oversensitive, and easily upset must not set the standard for the rest of us. He said that back in November of 2020. If you can't manage your emotions, then what you do is expect everyone around you to manage their behavior so that they don't set you off. That is a powerful and profound observation, and that is precisely what I'm talking with you about. We are abdicating our responsibility as leaders, whether you're a leader within your family, you've got three children, five grandchildren, or whether you are a leader within an organization that you founded, or whether you are a supervisor, or you're a sheriff's deputy, or you're a firefighter, or you're a surgeon, doesn't matter. And I'm thinking of individuals as I list all of these names. Doesn't matter what position you hold. If you are not able to manage your own emotions, then you will eventually expect everyone around you who works with you and who you lead and manage and supervise to manage their behavior so they don't piss you off. That is a destructive place to be, and you're abdicating your responsibility as a leader if you allow that to happen. If you don't manage your emotions, then the team will pick that up very, very quickly. And the negative, threatening, manipulative emotions that come out of you will be ones that they will do anything they can to avoid having those emotions splash over them. This is significant. What happens furthermore, not only are they changing their behavior to make sure that you don't have those negative emotions splash out on them, but they've changed their mission. Your organization has a mission. Whether it's written well and everyone can carry it around their head or not, it has a mission. And you want it to be able to accomplish its mission. And if you allow your emotions to affect the behavior of other people around you, you have changed the mission. If you have a board, for example, it it is as though you've gone to your governing board or your board of investors and you've said, I want to change our mission from the stated mission we've had for these many years to this. Here's our new mission. Don't piss me off. There, that's our new mission. And the entire organization pivots around that mission. (laughs) It's as though the individuals that you lead think, I really want to accomplish this, and I think this thing over here is the right way to go, but I'll piss him off, so I'm not going to do it, or it'll make him mad, or he won't talk to me, or he'll lean in and micromanage and then get mad and pout and stomp away, so I'm not going to do it. You see, what they've done is change the mission of the organization from doing the right thing to pleasing you. You can see how destructive that actually is. You can see that making you happy is not a mission worth getting out of bed for. It is short-sighted. Making you happy and managing your emotions is a dead-end street. It's a box canyon and you're flying a Cessna 150 and you're not going to be able to get out of that box canyon without crashing. Maybe you're one of these kinds of leaders, I don't know Manny. I know a few, who really genuinely believe that when they strongly express negative emotions that it works. If they're angry or they're frustrated or irritated or disappointed and they express all of that to people, that people get up and run around and get shit done. So they have convinced themselves that when I blow up, things finally happen and that therefore it works. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It creates activity. It creates motion, but it does not create lasting results. It doesn't work. It's a myth that your strong negative emotions, anger or whatever, actually get stuff done, it doesn't. People just run to get out of the blast zone and do whatever they can the fastest they can to calm you down. Some of you have thought, no, no, I don't ever blow up with people. Um, I don't really all get all that angry. But maybe you've figured out a way to emotionally manipulate people. You withhold your smiles. You withhold your praise. You withhold your guidance. You don't talk to them. Maybe you, you give them the, the cold shoulder. You make yourself unaccessible until, until finally they change their behavior or some other form of emotional manipulation. That's just as bad. You get it. You get the whole point, don't you? You get it. That if your emotions are so strong and negative and you use them in a way to lead and motivate, air quotes, I wish you could see me doing this, air quotes, right? Motivate people. What you've done is completely change the mission of the organization. You will end up having a toxic organization with extremely high turnover. All right. You get all of that, right? And you're, you're with me. You're nodding. You're saying, okay, all right, I get it. Oh, I've done that. Oh, darn it. Now, I, I don't know. I don't. I'm a very passionate person. I care a lot, you're saying to yourself. That's why I'm in this. That's why I've stuck this out. That's why I've stayed up late at night and awakened in the middle of the night. That's why I care so much. This matters a lot to me. And so I have strong feelings. I have strong emotions. Am I not to be authentic? I'm just being me. I'm just, you know, I'm just keeping it real. (laughs) Okay, well, no, you're not. Uh, You're being selfish. It is of course appropriate to have strong emotions, but you cannot use those emotions. To scare people into doing the right thing it will not work all right this is not rocket science you've got that figured out by now but now you're saying i've done this for so long i don't know what how do i how do i stop this do i just stop having strong emotions well no you don't stop having strong emotions It Interesting. Good timing. I picked up the glass with the old Ezra 7 in it um, and getting ready to take a sip because if you drink a lot of this, it will change your emotions. (laughs) I'm not suggesting that that's an appropriate way to function. It's what's called maladaptive coping mechanism, right? You don't want to do that. But what can you do if you have strong emotions and you're not supposed to just tamp them down and hide them away somewhere? You don't want to bully people with your emotions. What can you do? All right, here's some ideas. Idea number one, start by managing your expectations. You are likely, like I am, an incredibly impatient person. Once the vision has been created and communicated and nothing is happening, you get very, very impatient. Now, you, by hanging around me, and even if you work with me, you would think that I'm a very patient person. I'm not. I just pretend to be patient. I have patient behaviors but I'm not patient internally, and I've come to this conclusion that it's likely okay for me to have patient behaviors. (laughs) Uh, People think I'm patient, but inside I'm screaming, get moving. Why isn't this happening? And I've learned over time to slowly quiet that voice and have patient behaviors. Good enough. All right. How do I do that? Well, I manage my expectations. What do I expect and why is that important to me? And whenever I find myself having a strong negative emotion, I ask myself, what did I expect and why was that important to me? And I, I've gotten good at communicating my expectations. Here are my expectations and they're behavioral and they're result-oriented. I say, here are my expectations so that we can achieve this result. And then I ask the question, is that realistic? And I do that before we begin things and then whenever there's a pivot or a change that needs to take place. So there's point number one, manage your expectations. A little sidebar here. You may want to take a short inventory and think about when the last few times you were disappointed How did you react to that? What were your emotions externally? What were your emotions internally? And what did you expect? Disappointment is that check expectations light on the dashboard of your life Whenever you're disappointed or it's grown-up relative, whenever you're angry Disappointment is just anger turned way down Whenever you're disappointed or angry, well, take a breath and ask yourself, what were my expectations? Why was that important to me? How realistic were those expectations? There's a fourth question there and that is, did I communicate that with anybody? <laughs> All right, that's point number one. Start by managing your expectations. Point number two, I gave you a list of 27 emotions. How about if you kind of glance through those and pay attention to those and become aware of the emotions that you are feeling and go ahead and label them? Because if I don't label that emotion, if I don't call it something close to what it is, then my thought process will be about that person and their behavior, that team and their lack of performance or something like that. If I'm experiencing anxiety and I call it I'm anxious I call it that then I'm I'm focusing correctly I'm focusing on my emotions but if I don't do that I just have anxiety that I'm going to take that anxiety and think it is as a result of something external to me and it is not it is my internal perception of threat and then I create an emotion around it all right so be aware of what you're feeling. Label it. That's point number two. Here's point number three. Notice your effect on other people. Really pay attention. You might even want to ask them. When you're not in a negative emotional state, ask them, what's that like for you when I'm pissed off? What's that like for you when I'm irritable and distracted? Ask a couple of people. Not a lot. Don't poll a whole bunch of folks. Just ask a couple of people who who love you more than they love your feelings, and they'll tell you. So notice your effect on other people. Here's the fourth idea. Notice your affect. I feel like, you know what your affect is? It's how you come across. It's it's maybe it's your smile or it's your frown or it's your tone or your level of energy. It's the stuff that people are picking up externally to you that we call that your affect. Okay. Simply put it, are you frowning, right? Or are you smiling uh, and, and all the stuff that goes with that. Notice your affect. I feel like I'm smiling all the time. But occasionally I've seen myself on video, like we're in a video conference with some of our leaders and I and I look like I'm ready to stab someone in the throat or the throat if you're from New Jersey. <laughs> but uh, I, I've had to pay attention to the fact that I have a little bit of an RBF, and you know what that is, right? And I need to pay attention to that so that I actually look externally like I feel internally, or at least a little bit closer to it. I'm not gonna walk around with some stupid clown smile on my face all day long uh, because that's just, that's just weird, is all that is. But I'm going to notice that my expressions, my level of physical energy, are going to affect people. And that's called my affect. Here's the fifth idea. If I can't moderate my feelings because I feel so strongly about something, and they're usually going to therefore be negative feelings, I need to excuse myself. I need to say, you know, I'm feeling this. It's not you, me. I got to step away for a minute. I got to manage this, I'll be back and then step away. I'm really frustrated, I'm really confused. I have a lot of anxiety about this. This is with a team you work closely with. This is not someone, you wouldn't say this to people who are seven degrees removed from the core of your team, right? Not at all, these are people you know. People who would therefore be affected by your emotional state. Just say I need to step away for a hot minute and make sure that they know that you're not stepping away plotting their demise. I just need to step away, take a breath, collect myself and then come back okay? The stepping away shouldn't last for days. (laughs) They've got great imaginations and they're filling out their new resumes while you're stepping away for days, probably for an hour or a few minutes even. It doesn't take very long. All right, here's the sixth idea. Big, the big, big, big sixth idea. Seems a little odd to throw this in here, but I've found that this is one of the most profoundly effective ways for me to manage my emotions so that I don't end up expecting everybody around me to manage their behavior so they don't freaking piss me off. Okay, here it is. Exercise exercise a lot. The more you move physically and the more you push yourself through moving physically in some sort of exercise, even if it's just a walk up a hill, the more you do that, the more you train your brain and your limbic system to manage your emotions. And if you can manage your emotions when you want to give up, you don't want to push through that last mile that you're running or that last flight of stairs that you're climbing faster than you normally would. You don't want to push through that last set of push-ups or sit-ups or the last bench press that you're doing the last two reps you don't want to push through it but you do you are literally training yourself to manage your emotions every time you do that bench press every time you walk up that set of stairs a little bit faster it's just a little bit more training so you are helping yourself to learn how to have the emotions but manage them so that they move you in the right direction instead of into the ditch wow that was a lot to talk about and i my my beautiful cigar went out like three times in here. Who knows what all of this, how much of all of this will survive the edit, but when I look down at the timer, we're at about 45 freaking minutes of your life. You just spent thinking about managing your emotions. Remember, the wisdom from the comedian John Cleese. If you can't manage your emotions, you're going to end up expecting other people to manage their behavior so you don't have those negative emotions profoundly selfish and weak way to actually live that's not you you are a passionate leader you care very much you care more about accomplishing the mission than you do your own comfort you care more about developing those wonderful gifts of people that are a part of your team than you do about your own emotional tranquility (laughs) Oh, there we go. Well, speaking of tranquility, the ice cube is melted down by about a third. So the old Ezra 7 is looking a little bit more like tea than bourbon. But I'll bet it still tastes good. Let's see. No surprise. That tastes really, really good. I'm going to kick back and I'm going to have some really positive emotions while I finish this bourbon and this cigar. Wish you were here. Hey, you're doing good work. Keep it up. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.